And so today, I'm starting off with a question, and the question is this, what's with these words? I'm gonna specifically deal with what we say is our mission as a church family, and being able to really show its biblical context. Um, And so our our mission, as stated, go ahead and bring it on the screen, I just wanna show it to you real quick, Um, to invite people to engage in the struggle of becoming fully alive in God. Next week, vision. Uh, the third week is a bonus week, you'll see. Um, and, and so what's with the words? Because when you see that statement, there's lots of things that stand out. But for many people, maybe for most people, the word that stands out even more than alive is struggle. And if you look at some of the value statements on the wall in the gathering place, you notice some other words that are very similar, like brokenness is welcome here embrace the struggle, live in grace and truth. Okay, maybe that doesn't have it in it. And what's interesting, and you may not know this, but some of the words that are thrown out around here have mixed reviews. Did you know that? They really do. Um, I have found that to be true. Some people are like, oh, it's like fresh water, and some people are like, no. In fact, uh, you know, coming here um, almost two years ago um, as Dave, but as a pastor, I, I am so grateful for that journey. And um, early on, was connecting with all sorts of people within the church family, also people outside of the church family, um, just to receive coaching, just to learn and grow into this role uh, as a pastor here, specifically with Church of the Open Door. And, and I kid you not, um, there was advice giving, given by sort of outside professional um, Christian consultants uh, to um, re- rethink some of those words that are on the wall. In fact, you might want to rethink them and replace them with something more inspirational. And here's why I want to point that out. Maybe you've thought that before. You're like, seriously, I just keep seeing brokenness and struggle and it's depressing. Um, here's why I point that out. Because um, s- some of those things were some of the things that I was so captivated by in this community. Um, There's actually something really beautiful and I believe honest um, that I felt invited into. And this is just me personally talking and this was an issue for me in regards to that kind of advice. Um, Replacing it with something more inspirational I actually am hoping, early on, I didn't know you. I was pretending like I knew you. And early on, I remember thinking, I hope that brokenness is welcome here. Because sometimes in my role as a pastor, we have to pretend and hide, and I don't wanna hide. All sorts of nasty grows when we're in the dark, when we're hiding. I need a place, I'm speaking for me, I need a place where brokenness is welcome, where I can actually, where it's okay not to be okay where I can both at the same time be becoming alive to God and walking through something hard. And so I need it. And the second thing, and this, this is when I got a little bit playful with it, um, the, the second issue I had was uh, I asked this question, what would happen if we replaced the non-inspirational words in the Bible with inspirational words? Uh, we would omit the word cross, perseverance, obedience, surrender, Get rid of the word valley. In fact, get rid of, in Psalms 23, uh, in fact, get rid of the Psalms altogether. 
And then I began to think even more, what if we took, and I know I talk about coffee mugs all the time, like these little inspirational coffee mugs and we made them anti-inspirational. Jesus wept coffee mugs. <laughs> began to think about that. Wouldn't that be cool? I think we should, I think people would like that. Um, Elise would make them curious. What are they about here? We are really depressing. Uh, but I love the honesty of being a community that can celebrate and mourn. They can live together in the peaks and the valleys. And I, I love that. So there's a couple key questions that are gonna lead us into this today. And one question is, why these words? And the second question is, how do they connect to and flow from the Bible? Our collective story that we look to. And so, we find these ideas, and this is what's been so complicated for me, embedded in the whole arc of Scripture. Um, and, but we can't talk about every book of the Bible right now. It's just too, too much. Um, but probably one of the most vivid expressions of this is the image of baptism, which I love that we have people who are being baptized today and those who are standing with them to be a part of that and supporting them. And, uh, and in Colossians 2.12, it, it, it says, we have been buried with Jesus and then raised to life. That actually the word resurrection wouldn't exist without the word death. The word redeemed wouldn't exist without things that actually need it, right? We've, we've talked about that. And so there is this, in the midst of the struggle, new life is born. It actually requires, new life actually requires some sort of death. So that's one of the most vivid examples. Um, I'm actually going to today uh, turn to a metaphor of Jesus that invites us into the struggle of becoming fully alive. And that metaphor is found in John 15. I just decided to use one of my favorite passages in scripture because I think it really brings us into this tension in a powerful way. Um, so let's just read the whole passage. You can take it in, you can take it home and study it, uh, and then we'll move from there. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Starting at verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, uh, as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's a lot, and I am resisting going through that line by line. Uh, but that language, in fact, much of the language that Jesus uses metaphorically 
actually uh, has been used in scripture long before. You think about Psalms 1, a tree planted by water, roots, and how many of those metaphors existed in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus is the living word, constantly drawing off and bringing, drawing out of the, the Old Testament, and, and then it's moving through the New Testament, constantly drawing out of, but bringing clarity and new lenses to what this actually means. The rootedness is in the living word. It's in Jesus. And so, looking at John 15, 1 through 11, the call to abide is a way that Jesus frames discipleship. Now, just bear with me for a minute. Everybody say the word discipleship. It's actually a strange word outside the church, isn't it? Um, and, and we'll get to that in a moment, and, and here's why. So Jesus uses uh, this word abide. It frames discipleship. They're not actually two separate ideas, they interlock like this, just like much of scripture, but they interlock. And so before we dive into the metaphor, we're gonna explore the idea of discipleship. Um, and and I, so a few things I just wanna note about this and then we'll jump into this metaphor. One is this, discipleship did not originate with Jesus in the first century. It actually didn't. It was all over in that culture. Um, it was a word that they were very used to. In fact, the Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. But even before first century, first century Jewish culture, um, arguably the word disciple or the idea of discipleship started in Greece um, with philosophers like Socrates who had the famous disciple Plato. And, and those sorts of um, cultural um, aspects actually were pervasive in not just Israel, but that area of the world. <laughs> and so... Um, that said, discipleship was well-known reality back then, uh, we are, but we are so far removed from that. And our, our current world, again, it is really awkward outside the church if you walk up to somebody, and it's actually kind of awkward in, too, if you walk up to somebody and say, will you be my disciple? <laughs> well, what cult are you a part of? I mean, it is really an awkward thing, and it's just not common language. We're far removed from a word that was so common in that day. And that's why, um, and Dallas Willard suggests this, I like to use the word apprentice um, because it's much easier for us to understand that if you're a painter and you're apprenticing with a painter, you want to begin to actually paint like them. Um, you know, if you're an apprentice as a builder, you want to learn the craft of building. And so we are apprentices, disciples, but apprentices of Jesus, not just with one aspect of our life, but with our entire being. And so um, th why is this important? Um, this is important because I believe many Christians, this has been my experience, in our day import meanings to the word disciple that do not reflect the first century definition. We import all sorts of meanings. This was Jesus's context, first century. We're far removed, and so we bring a lot of meanings to that word. Let's look at some of the misunderstandings of how sometimes discipleship can be viewed. Um, one is this, you, that you can actually be a Christian without being a disciple or apprentice to Jesus. <laughs> That's actually what I've found, a pretty common thought process in our, in our current world today, that you can be a Christian without actually being a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, um, there's a, a, literary, a literary device in, in all of the Gospels, actually, and there's two basic groups that people fall into. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John um, use these on purpose um, because it shows a distinction. The first group is the group uh, crowds. 
<laughs> and you hear, and crowds are, it's all sorts of people. It's the rich, it's the poor, it's the religious leaders, it's the everyday people on the street. And then there's the, the second group, which is disciples or disciples of Jesus. Now, when I say that word disciple, many times we think 12. There were 12 disciples, but that's actually not true. According to scripture, there were 12 disciples in leadership training to be apostles, but there were actually arguably hundreds of disciples, people following Jesus in the scriptures, followers of Jesus, who considered themselves disciples of Jesus. So the crowds and disciples. Um, what I've found, again, I'm talking from my perspective, in our day, that we can create a middle category, um, and, and I, I'm gonna use this, it's actually a good word, but I'm using it for a reason here. The middle category would be Christian. And so you have crowds, you have the Christian, and the Christian is somebody who is belief-oriented, semi-moral, and at least looks to certain parts of the Bible. And then you have a disciple, but those are the ones who are like really serious. They're a little crazy about their faith. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, not at me if that's you, and you're a little crazy. <laughs> I see your googly eyes. Um, and so this idea is actually a radical misreading of the Bible. Uh, it's uh, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who lived a wild life for, for Jesus, said this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And so some, and another thing is, uh, another aspect that can be distorted is some will actually see discipleship, and these are pretty, pretty much all good things, but they'll see being a disciple as going to church, and then when I die, going to heaven. Um, some will see it as maybe uh, mentoring meetings over coffee. I actually love those. Whether it's me being mentored or mentoring, I love it. Um, some will see it as maybe a group Bible study or leadership training. But these aren't bad things. In fact, many of those things are found in the Bible. But they're not actually discipleship as Jesus talked about. They're actually what they are. It's leadership training, mentoring, um, Bible study, uh, going to church, and those, again, are such good things. But we can distill discipleship down to something that actually Jesus never intended. It's bigger and wider and more pervasive than that. Um, so when these become, I'm gonna say some really direct things here for us as a church family, and then we're gonna move into this metaphor, but when these become the dominant mindset in a church, ministry can become a series of programs bent on solving problems instead of making disciples. In other words, it asks this question, how can I solve my marriage problem? How can I solve my financial problem? How can I solve my anger problem so that I can become more Christian? Um, then, and, and what church becomes, and we've actually talked about this before, it becomes a, a dealer of religious goods to Christian consumers. And it's attractional, by nature, it's got a sparkle, and it's transactional um, by nature. In that, we create systems that require very little effort to be Christians. Do you hear me? I know that's hard, because effort is a trigger word in our Christian culture. And I believe that's at least some of the reason why we drift so far from biblical discipleship and again, I'm generalizing, but I believe it's why we can drift so far from biblical discipleship because we're triggered by words like effort. They scare us. 
Why do they scare us? They scare us because of works righteousness. We don't actually earn our salvation. It's not by my works so that I can't boast. It's because of what God has done, not what I have done. And we preach grace all the time and I believe in it. I believe all that stuff. But here's what's interesting. This tension, and this attention in scripture is that the Bible embraces both grace and effort. Um, two examples of this are in the person of Paul, and there's many, many. Read the book of James. I mean, come on, uh, faith without works is dead. How, how do you deal with this? But Paul said in Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Yes and amen. Can I hear an amen? Yes, yes. But Paul also said this towards the end of his life. And this is the paradox. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I finished the leisurely walk through the park. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Grace and effort. In The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, he said this about this idea. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And then he goes on to talk about, this is an attitude, actually, that we bring to our faith, not an action. Earning and effort are actually, it's a state of being. It's a state of mind. It's a state of the heart. So discipleship means that our core identity has changed. We are invited in as children of God. And, and that is not something that we can earn. No effort required, and I'm so thankful. And out of that identity, we begin the discipleship process of practicing the presence in the way of Jesus in our everyday life. The presence in the way of Jesus is what, we're, what we are obsessed with as followers of Jesus. Um, the, the presence of Jesus, if Jesus is with us, our rabbi, as a disciple in the first century, you want to be, if you, I mean, if you're a, an apprentice of a painter, you want to be as close as possible because you don't just want to learn facts, you want to catch it. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's being with, but it's also this idea of I want to become like. And so I'm practicing, just like I would if I was a painter. I'm, I'm, I'm with that master painter, and I'm, I'm practicing. I'm with Jesus, and I'm practicing the way of Jesus where? At church on Sundays? Yes. And also in my everyday life. And can I just say this? This is a part of my everyday life, too. It's all integrated for us as followers of Jesus. And one of the most potent examples is Luke 9, 2, where Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must, what? But before that, deny themselves, and then take up their cross daily and follow me. That is Jesus' invitation. And that sounds hard. So back to John. Now let's look at the metaphor that frames discipleship. John 15. Right at the beginning of this in verse one, uh, um, Jesus sets up the metaphor by saying, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we're the branches, Right? And then in verse four through five, we're introduced to the word abide. Or some of your translations, I'm using the NASB today, and because I love that word abide, the NIV uses remain. Um, 
And here's what it says, verses four through five. It says, abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus talking. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, (laughs) so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus here introduces the idea of abiding. That word abiding means to dwell or to live with. And actually, that's what disciples did. Disciples would want to dwell and live with and follow as closely as as possible their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they're following, their master. They want to follow them. They want to live with them. That's what they did. But Jesus takes it further. In verse 9, Jesus says this, just as my father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Now, for most rabbis, it was about knowledge and the way of life. Um, And there's many motives around that, but we know in the first century there's a lot of religious pride. I want you to actually get the knowledge that's inside my brain and live in the way that I interpret the Torah. Um, And then you have these disciples that fall in my footsteps and I can be built up as a religious leader with these disciples who have taken on my way of interpreting the scriptures, my way of living life. And, and, And it's connected specifically to knowledge and to way. But Jesus does something different here. Jesus wants us to unlock more than that knowledge and and the way, Jesus wants to unlock his heart. He didn't say abide in my knowledge, although the knowledge of Jesus is important. He didn't say abide in, in the same kind of activity that I do, although that's important, it's being a disciple. He said abide in my what? Love. So there's a deeper vision and connection that Jesus pulls us into. And then Jesus says this, because apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? So this image of abiding, being rooted in God, is woven through the entire Bible, and it captures what discipleship and the struggle of becoming fully alive is. Um, It's it's woven through the Bible, and I wanna show you some other areas of the Bible that it's woven into. Now I'm gonna go to these boards, and I know you've been waiting with anticipation because there's two. Um, And so, so, you know, when I do this, this is just real time with you. I don't always know if they're gonna translate. So, um, and so uh, the first thing that we're gonna start with um, to be able to get um, more at this metaphor, again, that goes through scripture, is I'm gonna draw a wonderful, you guess it, you guess it, piece of broccoli. Just kidding, it's a tree. It's a tree. And um, now, um, this tree is a fruit tree, and so that means that there is fruit on the tree, so good. And if you've ever read Galatians chapter five where it talks about the fruit of the spirit, then you would know that these are kingdom virtues. Um, That's what they are. Um, Kingdom virtues, uh, the fruit is kingdom virtues. And what's really great about that, and in fact, um, you see it in John 15, five, that we will bear much fruit, but in Galatians 5, 20 through 25, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And... And, and, and those, they're called fruits. And so what you don't do with a fruit is you don't um, take a, a beautiful piece of fruit and glue it to a tree. The fruit actually grows from the inside out 
and flows out and nourishes the world. That's what fruit does. It nourishes the world from the, from the, from the inside out. Are you with me? You're with me. All right, cool. This makes sense. We know this if you've taken science class before. Um, and another thing that we notice about this is that it's actually alive. Everybody say alive. It's alive. In fact, it says, it, um, the scripture here says that uh, we abide in, or as I'll show you in just a minute, and, you know, well, in Ephesians 3.17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, being rooted in love, right there, roots, roots of love, it's, it's alive. There's an aliveness with this. It's, it's living, um, rooted in love. And uh, then in, in Ephesians, it, it, you know, again, we see this metaphor all through Scripture. It says, uh, Ephesians 4.15, that we're growing in every way to be more like Christ. And so this is interesting because we are actually being transformed and the source, what's the source of that transformation? Remember Jesus in Galatians, he said, um, if, if you don't abide, well, actually, let me, let me just quote it. Where is it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the source of this transformation is God. Actually, I'm gonna, I-O-N, I like that better. Um, transform, oh, gosh, never mind. Transform. Um, I get you all the time come up afterwards. You spelled that word wrong. I don't care. <laughs> Want to say that now? Um, okay. I love you. Um, <clears throat> all right. So here's your homework. Here's your homework. Um, I'm going to bring up three scriptures on the screen that I just referenced, and uh, you can take a, a little snapshot with your cell phone if you want to, to really read that, to get, and these are just three amongst the whole Bible. Read Psalms 1, 2, yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll begin to, people are actually pulling out their cell phones, it's so awesome. Um, <laughs> you'll begin to get used to this idea and how this metaphor runs through scripture. So this, this, this right here, this looks beautiful. These kingdom virtues that grow from the inside out because I'm rooted in the love of God. I'm living and I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus and it's God that's doing it. It's not me. How many of you think that's beautiful? It's actually a beautiful thing. Do you see it? How wonderful that is. Who wouldn't want that and why is this a struggle? Why is it a struggle to become full? Why is this image actually a struggle. That's our mission statement, inviting people into the struggle of becoming fully alive. Okay, the struggle reveals itself when you begin to look at the contrast between Jesus's way and the world's way. And in order to do this, I'm gonna draw a different kind of tree, and um, this season's coming. What kind of tree is that? Yeah, and this tree actually has, doesn't have fruit, has ornaments. There's all sorts of ornaments around this tree. How many of you love Christmas? Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Too early? Amen? Yeah? Do we need a prayer time for those that Christmas music's too early? Um, these represent world virtues. And what's interesting about ornaments is they don't move from the inside out. 
the tree. Ornaments come, where do they come from? They come from the outside in, right? And so it's this way of living life. It's how world virtues grow with us. It's this um, self-help is one of the biggest sections of books at your local bookstore. It, and it's not, a necess- it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I'm not, I'm not, also I'm not saying Christmas trees are a bad thing. Amen? All right. Um, they're a good thing. But it's, uh, it's self-help. It's behavior modification. It's I want to become more peace-filled and so I'm gonna figure out how to, a way to take this peace that is not in me and make it a part of my life. I, I want to become more gentle. I want to become more faithful, more consistent. I'm gonna figure out how to take these attributes from the outside and bring them in to enhance. Again, it's not a bad thing, um, it's, but it's self-help. It's from the outside in. It's a different picture or a different image. And, um, and so it's from the Outside in. Got to get the words right so we can contrast it. And what's interesting about a Christmas tree in regards to uh, a, a fruit tree is this, that it's, it's actually not alive. Underneath all of those beautiful ornaments, they're dying. Christmas trees are actually um, dying. And, and because, the part of the reason why is because there's no roots, right? There's a, a Christmas tree stand you like this? So good. It's not a spider. It's a stand. <laughs> They're not, it's not alive. It's dying. And it's interesting, like, because when I think about roots, I think about identity. Now listen to me. For, just listen for a second to this, because as I begin to think about our world's desperate search for identity, this begins to make more sense. When we're rooted in Christ, we're not so desperate to figure out our identity. We're not, we don't idolize identity. It's not the, the our, our search for it is not, it's not, it's, it's not stressful. It's, it's not something that, um, you know, we're not constantly trying to figure out who we are. But in our world today, um, younger generations, older generations, in, in different ways, we're trying to figure out who we are because we don't have a rooted identity. No wonder there's a massive search for that. And, and in that search, we're trying to find our identity, but we never actually find life. If you've ever been on that search, maybe you've tried to find your identity in another person, in a way of thinking, in a way of being, in success, or something like that. And when you actually like, get there, you realize that there's, it's not actually living. It, it doesn't actually bring life like you thought it would bring life. And so, um, and so the, the, the idea around this is not transformation, but it's um, performance. And so there's this idea that life is what you make it. You can make it beautiful. You, it's, it, it's up to you, though, to make it beautiful. Figure out how to take the beautiful things in this world and make them a part of your life. Go ahead. Go ahead, do it. Make your life beautiful. The, the source of that is, is you. The source of this situation is, is you. And, and what's interesting about that idea of you is um, yeah, you get the glory when you make your life beautiful, but you know what you also get when life doesn't look so beautiful? You get the shame. But when you're rooted in Christ, it's like God gets the glory for everything good that flows from our life. Um, but but when, when I'm not growing as fast as I want to, when I'm even producing some things I don't want to, I'm still rooted in the love of Jesus. My identity, my roots have not been shaken no matter how hard the wind blows. And so, 
That's the image I wanted to show you. Did it translate a little bit? All right, let me ask you this. Do you see it? Do you see the way the Bible talks about Christian formation in contrast to the world's ways of self-help? It actually reveals both the beauty and the struggle of becoming fully alive. And I'm gonna take it, and I'm just gonna circle one at a time because what we see over here does not look like life. Often, even as followers of Jesus, we live this way and life gets really confusing. But here's, here's, the, here's the struggle, and, and um, I'm gonna circle both beautiful things and, 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 and aspects of struggle over here. And we'd say this is, this is beautiful, but um, I actually think life flown from the inside out is an incredible struggle as well. And um, because in that, I have surrendered my control. My dependence is no longer on me making life beautiful. I've surrendered. I, I don't find my worth in the things of the world anymore, but my flesh desperately wants to. That's my drift. My flesh is always trying to find worth on, on the good things that I do, on the performance, on the, it's always drifting towards there, but I've actually surrendered. I'm dependent on God. My money isn't mine, my time isn't mine, my talents aren't mine. Um, and there's times when I actually think that I could do a better job than God with my life. Just give me back control. This is works righteousness, by the way. This is like, not only, if you put religion over this, it's, it's like dead religion. Um, but give me back control. I, I mean, have you ever been there? Um, out of the desire for control, we, um, we go back to self-reliance. And this has been my experience. Um, the times where I'm living in a hurry, or the times when like, the, and, and I, I experience this, where it's like, I can't take a day off. This idea of Sabbath, I can't take it. Why? Because what if I let, because there's things I need to attend to. That, those are symptoms. I've become a little God of my life. Little G God of my life. The idea of, of letting go, and even Sabbathing, is, it's, it's actually declaring, I'm not God, you're God. I don't need to keep all the plates spinning. That's why Sabbath is worship. You're God and I'm not. I can let go and I can delight. And so another word that is actually seems really great but actually is a struggle is the word alive or, or living. Who, who you know, wants the opposite? No, I don't think any of us do. It's, um, but here, the word living or alive um, rooted in Jesus, um, you're basically, it's like I'm, I no longer am my own. And, and what's, what I began to think about here, if I'm living or if I'm rooted in Jesus, I began to think this, what happens when Jesus and I disagree? Jesus and I disagree all the time. There are things in the Bible I don't like. What happens when Jesus and I um, disagree? And that doesn't feel loving, Jesus. I'm gonna take my roots and go home. <laughs> and it can be a struggle. The other thing that can be a struggle is this, and this is one that I have really struggled with in my coming alive to God is transformation or, being, or, be, or becoming transformed. Notice in our mission statement, inviting people to engage in the struggle of becoming. Everybody say becoming. 
Becoming fully alive. It doesn't say arriving at full life. It says becoming. And we use a tree metaphor. Um, and so I, uh, let me ask you this question. Have you ever watched a tree grow? Have you? Um, and when we place ourselves in that metaphor, uh, there are many times where we look at what's growing out of our life and it's just not fast enough. It's just not fast enough. Scripture calls us to a long obedience in the same direction, but what we want is we want a magic trick that will cause us to grow all the fruits of the Spirit all the time just by saying, I do. But it's actually a, a lifetime process. Now, there's a lot of beauty in that, too. How many of you are like, oh, thank you for reminding me. It's a lifetime process. Um, but it can be also a struggle. Um, our desire to move fast and drift back into behavior modification and sin management. Instead of practicing the presence in the way of Jesus, we drift back into like sin management, behavior modification. I just, I need to get the fruit to grow faster. And because we're so focused on our sin and what we're not doing good and trying to make it better, we actually lose sight on Jesus' command, abide in me. You're abiding in your, your, your works, the good or the bad stuff you're doing. You're not abiding in Jesus. I'm actually the source of those things. Isn't it wild and so otherworldly that actually one of the greatest ways to like fight sin in our life is by loving Jesus, focusing on Jesus, walking with Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus. And the other thing that's a struggle, and um, I'm a little bashful circling this word um, because it's God, but the re reason why it's, that can become a struggle is because I'm no longer at the center of my story. God gets the glory. And I can drift back into finding my worth in what I do because I want the glory. I want the credit for the good things that come from my life. But the unique Christian way as disciples of Jesus is this, and part of the struggle is that anything good that flows from us collectively as a church family in my life, it's not because of our genius it's not because of our strength or resolve. It's because of God and his grace and mercy and power moving through us and in us. It's not about us. And we're not at the center of even our own story. I don't wanna be at the center of my own story at least, but we're not as disciples of Jesus. So becoming fully alive in God is hard. It's a struggle. And everyone is invited into that. <laughs> Yay! Here's what, I, here's what I thought. I hit a real moment. I hit a very real moment in this message. And the moment um, was pressure to make this more attractive and to inspire you. I was feeling that. Um, and and I'm, I decided I'm not gonna do that. It, this is beautiful if you have eyes to see it. This is real beautiful if you have eyes to see it. But it's also hard. It's also hard. And I know it's not attractive to many, and I just, that's okay. Is that there's many people that this, this kind of life as a disciple isn't attractive to. Um, I'm okay with that because our goal is not to draw crowds. Our goal is to make disciples. And there is a difference. There is a difference. In other words, we don't do this so that you can be a belief-oriented, semi-moral Christian. 
How boring is that? We do this, I do this, so that you can be a problem in this world. So that the, the enemy, there's a very real enemy in the kingdom of darkness has a sense of shoot. They moved into the neighborhood. That, that actually that stronghold of the enemy is so upset because you joined that bowling league. Their stronghold, the stronghold of darkness is threatened because you are a living disciple who just landed on the scene. And that's, that's what I'd rather see us move into. Um, I want you to be so captivated by and in love with Jesus that it forms you over time and me over time to look more and more like him. And so I'm gonna end with this question. And it's, I'm just gonna let it sit for a moment. Actually, yeah. What do you want? What do you, what do you want? So let's do this. Let's all stand together. Worship team, you can come up. And feel free to move these if you all want to. It's great. Um, we're gonna take a moment uh, together before we move on from here and um, really celebrate the beauty. We wanna be honest about the struggle, but we wanna celebrate the beauty. There is life on this journey with Christ. We're gonna do that. We're gonna see it in water baptism. But right now, we're gonna sing into and pray into with our song together um, a song that really captures both the difficulty and the courage in our faith with Jesus and declares his faithfulness over, over all of it. It's really interesting to me, too, that um, many of those, when I ask the question, what do you want, many of those who are the most eager to step into a really beautiful, vibrant, strong discipleship, not of perfection, but again, of practicing the way and the presence of Jesus, following Jesus, taking up crosses along the way, dying to myself, those who are most eager to do that are many times people who the bottom has fallen out of life. The bottom of life has fallen out. They've had some sort of trauma that's brought them to a place. And I began to think about that in regards to a Christmas tree. It is, it is when the wind blows that you realize you don't have roots. And then you hear the story of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus and it's like, oh, I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to carry the weight of glory. Oh. So today, wherever you're at in that journey, you, you have life figured out right now. It's humming. Or rather, whether you're in a deep struggle, we are a community that can mourn and celebrate. 
They can be on the peaks together and walk through the valley of the shadow of death together. So let's sing into our story about the courage, the struggle, and the faithfulness of God. Jesus, we look to you, and we love you, and we want the real thing. Show us the path of life. Fill our hearts with courage, and may your kingdom come, and may your will be done in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.